Who are all these people? That's the question we're discussing today on the Heroes of Superman presented by the Galaxy Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes doing his best Jerry Seinfeld impression. Yeah, I hope it was worth the wait, everybody. I've been, I've been waiting uh, for this topic specifically so that I, I could I could you know, let the world bear witness to my, my glorious Seinfeld impersonation. Absolutely. I think you've missed your calling, really. Yeah, and it's, maybe so. It's not, it's not theology. It's not editing. It's, it's doing Seinfeld impressions. Well, there's worse, there's worse lots in life. That's true. So That's true. Talking about the, the book about something, I should be, I should be doing impersonations about the show about nothing. Sure. Why not? Sure. Yeah. You know, let's go with that. That that seems like an even trade. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, no, not even close. Not even close. So let's let's keep talking about something because uh, who are these people? These people we're talking about today are the people of God, and so uh, we are jumping back out of our little um, little mini series, going through some 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 of the multifaceted views of sin and its effects in the world. And we're uh, we're jumping back over to the topic of of who the people of God are, and so and so our identities as Christians, uh, the church as a as a category. So um, what we're gonna do here is, is I'm gonna read the description of of this. We're gonna try and simplify that down um, to a tweetable statement. Um, and then we're going to talk about where we see this in scripture, what helps us understand it, all that kind of fun stuff that we do every single week whenever we talk about doctrine. But before we do that, I'm going to, I want to answer a question that may be needing to be refreshed in people's minds, which is why do we actually talk about this when um, one day of the week we talk about a passage of the Bible following the Gospel Project's scope and sequence? And this other and this other show during the week, we're talking about an essential truth. Um, the reason that we do that is is because those are the things that those are the things that the Gospel Project is about as a whole. We're about the big story and the big truths of Scripture. We want you to know what the point of the Bible is, and we want you to see how. Um, these core truths that make the Christian faith distinct in the world, how they come from the scriptures and how they inform how we live today as gospel people in the world. And so that's why we do this. And so this is, this is, this is stuff that's helpful for uh, people who are, who are discipling others of any age. So whether whether you are working in kids ministry, whether you're working in student ministry, whether you're whether you're with adults and small groups, or you're just um, you're just doing one-on-one discipleship, or even if it's just in your family, um, that's why we do this because we all need this. Um, we need to be we need to be as gospel-centered people. We need to understand the core truths of our faith. Um, to carry out this gospel mission that God has called us to. So um, 
Here is our description of the people of God. So scripture describes the church as the people of God. Comprised of both Jew and Gentile, the church is created by God through the atoning death of Christ. The term church is used in two senses, of individual local churches composed of people who are covenanted together under the lordship of Christ, and of the universal church composed of all believers in Christ at all times. Um... As the people of God, the church seeks to live under God's ruling care while we are protected and cared for by him. So, if we had to summarize this down to a tweet, um, here is probably a really, here's a good way to, to say this, that the church is the covenant people of God, both universally and locally. And yeah, all of those words that are there are important. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to almost interrupt you. Uh, I, yeah, I just I can't think of a simpler, more succinct way to, to put that because we're covering that the church is being connected with the, the people of God, which is a, an identity of God's people um, going back to the, the Old Testament history. And then it exists both in local forms and universal forms. It's talked about in a broader sense in terms of the people of God worldwide, but also there are local uh, expressions uh, yeah. of that church on an institutional level. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Josh, where do we see this in Scripture? Let's uh, let's just hit um, a handful of passages here. Yeah, and so that that phrase, as I said, the covenant people of God or people of God that that has its uh, bearings, its foundation in the Old Testament. So, when we're, when we're fleshing out a doctrine, I always like to go back as far as we can, namely to Genesis one and two, to to show how a theme, a, a, a category, a convention is not arbitrary, that it that it's in continuity with God's purposes uh, from, from the beginning. And so you can see that God's people in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 were created to live under his rule and authority in his, his place. So you think of the Garden of Eden, Eden, Adam and Eve would have been his people. And then had they had any children before the fall, that would have continued to be his people who lived under his, his loving and righteous rule. Well, because of the fall, though, we see a separation between God's people and, and the world. And we talked about the world as this system of evil that that uh, is an opposite, set in opposition to 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 God. And so we we see that happen very early on in the in the biblical storyline with Genesis three fifteen, where there's this promise given to Eve to the serpent specifically to to the serpent, saying that there would be enmity between his seed and the woman's seed or offspring. You'll see it translated uh, between her offspring and the serpent's offspring. And, the, and that there will be uh, from this offspring, one who will bruise the heel of the woman's offspring, but the woman's offspring will crush his head. Now, ultimately that's fulfilled in Jesus, but that also refers to the conflict between God's people throughout history with those who pledge allegiance to the serpent, if you will, those who follow uh, uh, Satan is in, in Satan and being his offspring. So we see this sort of godly line uh, beginning with, uh, with you see it with Cain and Abel, even uh, with, with Cain killing Abel. But then following that, you have Seth come about, and you you have this line in Genesis five or uh, uh, or Genesis four, I, I believe it is Genesis four into five with the, the genealogy where men became to call upon the name of the Lord or, or Yahweh. So you have a godly line represented going from Seth. Uh, to Shem, when you think of Noah's, uh, uh, you think of Noah's descendants, and then 
if you follow the genealogies of Genesis 10 and 11, uh, Shem's line goes to Abram, who we later know is Abraham. So you can you see this this line, which is the one that God primarily works through, is sort of the is sort of the redemptive. Uh, family in which he brings about blessing into the world. And that's what we see with Abraham and his family being set apart that God makes a covenant with Abraham promises him that he's going to bless the world through him. He's going to make a great nation uh, of his family. Uh, He's going to bless him so that he can be a blessing to to others. He's going to curse those who oppose him, but he's going to bless all families of the earth through Abraham's family. That's in Genesis 12 where we see that start. Well, then you see God's people defined as this, this, these mediators of God's blessing in Exodus 19, following the Exodus and verses five and six, specifically I'll read here. It says, now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. So the whole earth belongs to God, but he has a special people uh, from within the earth. And what, what's special about them? Well, they, if they, if they act as they should, will be his kingdom of priests and his holy nation. That's what Israel was set up to be. And we see that we see that language applied also to, to the church and the New Testament. You see that in First Peter uh, 2, uh, 9 and 10, where you have uh, language not only from Exodus 19, but also uh, Deuteronomy 7 uh, applied to the church as the chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And you have other uh, Old Testament language from the from the prophets even uh, applied to them in verse ten of First Peter two. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So this idea of the church as the people of God continues into the New Testament with how the authors of the New Testament apply Old Testament language uh, to, to the church. And uh, that, that's, I think that's a good place for us to stop for now, just in given a, a broader overview and some, some highlights of the Old Testament story as it, as it feeds into the, the New Testament story. All right. So what kind of questions should we be asking as we're trying to understand this doctrine? Yeah, as, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm try, trying to emphasize if people haven't picked up what I'm, what I'm laying down is this, this great continuity that exists across the whole canon of Scripture in terms of the in terms of the people of God's identity as the people of God, this identity that's applied to the church in the New Testament, but it, it has its roots, has its foundation in the, in the Old Testament. So when we see the church come about as this new way of uh, describing God's people, this new, this new title, uh, the gathering, the assembly, uh, that's what church roughly means, uh, we need to see it as something uh, totally new, uh, not, not as something totally new, but it's something renewed and expanded. So even though church language is new to the new to the uh, New Testament, the new covenant expression of the people of God, uh, it's not something entirely new. It's grounded in Old Testament realities and categories. So you think of Paul as he describes Israel and their state of unbelief toward Messiah and, and actually detailing back to their state of unbelief in various times of history where the large part of Israel was not faithful to Yahweh. Uh, he says that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel in Romans 9, verse 6. So he's saying there is a distinction between a true, obedient, spiritual Israel and a larger corporate Israel that's descended from Abraham from, from the flesh, merely from the flesh, whereas within that there's, there's this true Israel. So not all Israel are Israel. So their faithfulness to God's covenant promises, to his word, 
is what really makes them the true Israel. What makes them, in other words, the, the true expression of the people of God. And what's special about the church is that these new covenant promises uh, that we can read about in uh, passages like Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, where it says that all will know the Lord, that his, his statutes, his law will be written on their heart and they, they will hear his voice and, uh, and obey him. There won't be a need for uh, among the covenant community for them to tell their neighbor, know the Lord, because they'll all know the Lord. You can look up that passage yourself, uh, listeners, to, 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 look, to, to get a uh, closer uh, look at it. But Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, very important to the new uh, covenant identity uh, of God's people. Well, these promises uh, pertain, uh, express something of uh, an extensive um, amount of the, of the people of God being born again, being actually regenerate, whereas that was not the norm if you read about Israel's experience. You would have a faithful remnant. You'll see that language of remnant. You'll have, you know, you'll have a portion who do not bow the knee to Baal, which Paul references in Romans 9 through 11. But uh, you have a lot of apostasy and unbelief and unfaithfulness with the history of Israel. Well, the promise of the new covenant is that, well, God's going to do something within the people of God where the whole community are faithful. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but but faithful to walk, walk in his statutes as their, as their general uh, pattern pattern of life, and then what else is also new about the about the new covenant people of God uh, when it comes to the church is the Jew Gentile relationship and how there's just a great uh, larger ratio of Gentiles to Jews and and this expression of the people of God, whereas that was not the case in the old Old Testament. Uh, there were um, exceptions to to that rule as far as Gentiles coming coming into the people of God, so it wasn't entirely ethnically defined uh that the people of israel weren't but now the reverse actually is is the norm when it comes uh to to the new testament uh story and the new covenant expression of, of, of the people of god but it's it's unlike any era era and and salvation history where jew and gentile become intermingled and are seen as equals within the, the, the people of God, you think of Ephesians 2, 12 through 16, talking about this one new man under Christ. There's a new humanity under Christ where there's no longer these, these boundaries of separation in place. So uh, what we can take away in understanding the, the newness of the church, but also recognize it's, it's grounded in, in God's purposes from old is that the church does not replace Israel, so to speak, but the church exists as a new and expanded kind of Israel. The people of God consisting of Jews and Gentiles is equals in Jesus. So it's all because of Jesus that things change. And so the people of God, in, in terms of the new covenant, are, are defined differently. There's something new and better about this covenant compared to the old covenant expression of, that was under uh, Moses and, and going forward until the time of Jesus. It's like everything. Everything that we see in the Old Testament, there is this this shadow and substance relationship. Right. Um, and so all the good things, and like right down to covenants, um, the, uh-huh. the goodness of God's covenant with Israel is um, not, is basically heightened in his, um, in his covenant through Christ with, um, with all people of all nations who believe in Jesus. Um, and thus, that's why the that's why the New Testament will, for example, use this language of saying, but you are the true Israel. Right. right. Um, and so 
that's and that again that is not that supplanting language it's that it's that heightening and that expansion of it so um one of the other things that we need to do is that we need to distinguish between the universal church and its localized expressions and so um that's really important because um the bible talks about the church in three different ways in a local expression, a regional expression, and that universal expression. Um, and so it is, it's all three of these. Um, so there's, there, it's the dispersed people. It's the, it's those gathered together. It's those in a region. It's, and it's all throughout history. Um, so some examples of the local church include, uh, the churches of Galatia, or and the seven churches that are in Revelation, those are all in a, those are all in in a very defined context and close together. Um, in Acts fourteen uh, twenty three, we have uh, that says that uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. So that's referring to. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, as they uh, were being sent out on their mission to go and plant churches, mm-hmm. um, we see in uh, we see this regional view. Um, I mean, you can look at Revelation nine, both referring to local churches, but also to a region uh, of churches. Um, that uh, in Acts nine thirty one, we also see that the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it, it increased in numbers. And so there it's it's talking about the church as one in that region as well. Mm-hmm. And then we have these universal expressions as well that we see in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of, of water by the word. This is not referring to the to one individual local church. Christ didn't die for one individual expression. Christ died for the church. Right. All of his people across time and space. And that and and so we need, but we have to have um have to have that view as well as our local um, as our local expression, we need to be committed to that local expression, even as we are aware and embrace our identity as being one part of a much bigger body. Um, so, some of the other language that the that the Bible uses about about the church, not just as the people of God, but as the body of Christ, um, okay. you see how um, Paul refers to in in First Corinthians how how. Um, every member of the body has a different part. Well, if you want to double your metaphors here, and I think it's appropriate to do so, while that's that's true in the local expression, it's also true in the universal sense too, that every local expression is one member of the universal body. And so um, we need that. And all this talk of universal, I gotta. I want to just make one thing super clear. We're not talking about universalism or anything like that. Just in case someone's looking for some some rocks to throw at us, we're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about 
universally all who have put their faith in Christ. Wherever they were, whatever background they were, um, where genuine faith exists in Christ, they are part of the church. There's also the mystery of how that how that pertains to Old Testament believers. That's there's there's good questions there. Uh, the short version is, and the Bible actually talks about this, was that their faith was looking forward to Jesus, to right. what they di- to whom they did not fully understand or know. But now, the fullness of Jesus' revelation has been revealed, and so it was still faith faith in Christ, but. <laughs> um, but there was a mystery there too. Yeah, that's a so, good point because we want to, you know, we we can sometimes over nuance things, but we also want to be as nuanced as the Bible is. And the Bible uses the term church in this nuanced way, where it can refer to individual local churches, gatherings of believers. It can refer to a church in a region or the the church globally or universally to to pick up on on that language to clarify that we're not talking about universalism. We're talking about the churches that exist globally. And also, I would add to that the universal church pertaining to as you, you were alluding to Old Testament saints, yeah, the church of all time, which is a impetus for us to study church history so that mm-hmm. we measure in a way and glean from the contributions of the, of the saints uh, of the past as they've, as they've uh, served uh, Jesus faithfully and have something to, to offer us in the here and now, or as every culture that the church exists in always has its blind spots, has its idols, has its downfalls, and has its positives, and so we 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 want to uh, take those things in consideration. And by looking to the church in the past, we can sometimes figure out how can we be more faithful and effective in our in our ministry in the in the here and now and and, and in the future. Yeah. Um, another uh, consideration uh, we need to we need to make uh, as we. Um, look at this doctrine is we should see the the present day church just speaking of this continuity with church history as the as the same reality as the people of god from old so you are a part of the same church that the church of the apostles church of galatia church of ephesus the, the church of thessalonica you are a part of the same global universal church it's not that this is a new era of church history you know people like to say well back in biblical times well if you're following the storyline of the Bible is the true story of reality. Well, mm-hmm. we're still in biblical times and we'll always be in biblical times because the Bible covers this entire age that's exists since creation with the fall. And then it covers and speaks about though, not in great detail of when Jesus comes back and we're living in the new heavens and new earth with him in the resurrection age. So all times are biblical times. So we, uh, we need to get this category out when we say biblical times you can say ancient times maybe might be the might be the better word to describe the, the cultural differences but we're still in biblical times and we're still part of the same biblical people of god because we we, be, we believe in the same god we receive the same jesus we herald the same gospel so the people of god from the past there are spiritual ancestors and that's the same basis that Jews and Gentiles had equality in the first century, that we have the same spiritual ancestors that they did. Abraham, because of our faith in Christ, who's the true offspring of Abraham, we're connected to that family of Abraham. And we don't need to reference any cheesy VBS songs about Father Abraham either to, to know that. that That's clear from um, Romans 4, Galatians 3 and 4. If you look at those passages in Paul, you'll see that we as Gentiles 
most of us likely being Gentiles, not of Jewish heritage. And some, some listeners might have Jewish heritage, but we have equal part in Christ and equal part in the people of God because of, because of who Jesus is as the true son of Abraham and as the true Israelite. So the same fellowship of believers that existed during the age of, of the apostles, that's been continued and handed down for us to be a part of as well. A, a short way of saying this is that there are no stepchildren among God's people. Mm. We're all equal recipients of his grace and all equal inheritors as, as his adopted sons and daughters. Yeah. And, and that also, along with that, there, there's also the, the very real sense of there's no grandchildren either. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, we use that, like, we all use that language of, you know, spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren, um, that kind of thing. Um, you know, but it's really, everyone is a first generation believer in, mm. you know, in God's economy. So, um, right. we need to be really good with that and embrace that with joy because there's an equality under God that, um, that just as the, that that as the people of God, we need to enjoy and celebrate. Yeah, so, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. So uh, real quick here. So let's talk about a couple of differences that, that this doctrine should make in our lives as we seek to understand it better. So uh, I'll handle the first one, you, and then you get to bring us home. Sure. So, um, so in terms of the first thing that, that this doctrine will helps us to do and how and may as far as the difference is concerned is that uh, we need to know that we share in the same covenant promises and purposes as the rest of the people of god who came before us um, again this speaks into what we were just talking about um, and have been talking about for a while so this should be more summarizing than anything else but um, I will be their God and they will be my people applies to us, us today, right in this very moment. If we believe in Jesus as it did to Israel in the Old Testament and to the church at the time of the apostles, it's tr it was true then, it's true now, and it will be true a thousand years from now or and, and it will be true in eternity as well. It, it, is a, it is a truth that never ends. Uh, we belong to the same story as the people of God described in the Bible, and we stand to inherit the same, uh, the same uh, storehouse of, of promises, the same blessings that, uh, that they did, that uh, this eternal ongoing communion with, uh, with the triune God in a land that uh, knows only peace and righteousness under its rightful ruler, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah himself. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing for us to affirm and build on what we were already sort of laying the, the, the groundwork for and, and no, noting the uh, um, guidelines we should follow and think about this doctrine we we stand as recipients of the same promises and and are part of the same purposes uh, as the people of god that are uh, described and reported about in the bible and this is a this this builds off of that this this next um, takeaway that that makes a difference uh, practically 
uh, for us. Uh, and that's that because we have a connection to the, to the people of God, we don't want to take this connection for granted that just because an institution continues to exist doesn't mean an institution continues to live out its mission and purpose faithfully and effectively. It doesn't mean it always remains what it was supposed to be from the outset. So that can apply uh, to the people of God from a, from an institutional standpoint. Yes, God will always have a people on, on the earth representing him. The gates of uh, Hades will not triumph over Jesus' church as he promised. That, that's absolutely true. But we don't want to presume that our local expression or our institution of Christianity will always be faithful no matter what or is uh, faithful in, in its current state. So because of this connection uh, to the people of God, it, because it hinges upon our faith to, in Jesus and our faithfulness to him, we shouldn't presume that we're, of course, the people of God merely because we have some sort of historical con connection to faithful generations from the past. That, that was really the era in the first century uh, of the Pharisees that Jesus was pointing out, and it would have been the error for a, a number of, of centuries and, and, and a lot of how the uh, Jewish people presumed upon their heritage from, from Abraham that just because they had this physical, biological lineage that automatically made them the faithful representative of God's people on earth. But tradition is helpful, but it's only helpful if it if it conveys and communicates truth, if it's grounded in truth. So if tradition carries the truth with it, then, then it's absolutely helpful and should be passed on. So tr tradition is a, is a tool. It's not good or bad in itself. There's good tradition and there's, there's bad tradition, depending on what, what's being traditioned, what's being taught by the, by the tradition. So the deposit of the faith, that that's a good thing that it was handed down to the church by, by Jesus to the apostles, the apostles to the next generation. And we saw that uh, re referenced in Jude in our discussion um, uh, within the last couple of weeks about the uh, letter uh, of Jude, where he says to contend for the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So there, there is an aspect of, uh, of the faith where tradition is inevitable if we're going to continue the faith. Uh, but we don't want to fall into the, the Pharisee trap of presuming our our place uh as and prominence as the as the people of god uh, they thought they were the people of god the most faithful because they were the most serious law keepers in, in the first century but jesus didn't have kind affirming words of their stance toward him as it was evident by their their unbelief toward him that they weren't the faithful people of god he said that Abraham, who they claimed as their father, would have rejoiced to see his day and that Moses wrote of him and they're not recognizing even of the, the, the one that Moses pointed them toward, even though they're so obsessed with following the law of Moses. So it really is a sad irony that the that the this segment of the Jewish people had become so blind that they could even recognize God incarnate standing before them as the Messiah, as predicted in the, uh, the Old Testament, that they couldn't see uh, that based on their own blindness to the truth that was in uh, the words of scripture, but also their own spiritual blindness and seeing God himself before him, the works bearing witness and still denying it. So we can fall into the trap of being blind as, as, as those who presume to be, be God's uh, people. And so what's, how do we, how do we recognize or determine whether we are or not? Well, we, we do that by testing our faithfulness to Jesus. Are we living out a faithful response to who Jesus is as he is presented to us 
in scripture, namely in the, the writings of the apostles and, and the traditions that they uh, wrote that were written down and preserved for us in their writings and in, in the, in the, what we know is the, the new Testament letters. So are we responding to Jesus as he's presented to us in the gospels, the gospel that was delivered to the church by the apostles and do we continue to live out the legacy that they left for us for what it means to be god's people so faithfulness isn't measured by merely uh having lineage whether it's historical or biological to faithful people in the past it's measured by our response and our obedience to jesus who's the true son of abraham he's the covenant keeping israelite and the royal offspring of david it's in him all the promises of God find their yes and amen. It's in him that we receive all the promises of God. So Jesus is the conduit of truth. And so our tradition is only good so long as it makes much of who Jesus is and is in line with the truth he's given to his church. Yeah, Man, that is a good note for us to end on. Uh, Josh, thanks for talking about this today. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.